first reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. The second part of the reading is from Luke 24, verses 36 to 49. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they did not, still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Amen. Well, good morning. It's really, really good to see you. It's good to see you. If you're a visitor and just passing through, welcome. Trust uh, family or whoever it is you're visiting, make you feel welcome. The good news is the heating is on this week, so you get a literal and a physical warm welcome as well. One of the reasons uh, Christianity grew so not quickly, one of the reasons it grew so explosively in the first few decades of its existence. One of the reasons it exploded through the Roman Empire was not because of the logistics of roads, that was part of it. It wasn't because of a common lingua franca, that was part of it. The explosive force throughout the whole of the Roman Empire as the gospel went out like wildfire was the resurrection. It was the resurrection. It was the attitude that Christians had towards suffering and death because of the resurrection that was the fuel 
for the gospel to spread like wildfire through the Roman Empire. During Nero's reign, there was a plague in Rome. During the second century, there was vast suffering across the northern part of Africa, the whole continent. Who was it that went into the cities to care for those without a national health system, to care for those who were suffering from a plague? Who was it that went in and cared for those in need? It was the Christians, no one else. Everyone else was fleeing out of the cities. Everyone else was considering their own safety and personal hygiene. Everyone else was running to the hills, but the Christians were staying and going to those in need. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of their understanding of the meaning of life and the hope of death. They were filled with hope, and yet they were realistic at the same time. It it really wasn't pie in the sky when you die. It was the reality of the resurrection, which means they cared for people, and not just their own. That was what was so striking to those other members of the Roman Empire. There was uh, Tacitus and other Roman historians. Josephus records, look at how those people live. Why are they caring for those who are not just their own, but others as well? Because of the resurrection. Why did they want to uh, have dealings with and engage with the need and brokenness in society and in the world? It's because of the resurrection. And this passage, perhaps more than any other, perhaps if you wanted a competition or a spiritual arm wrestle, you'd go to 1 Corinthians 15 or Luke 24. But I think this passage might even edge it because it's from the lips of Jesus. It teaches us the reality and the power of the resurrection, not just its historical truth. This passage tells us about the nature of it, the characteristics of the resurrection. It's familiar truths to some of us. It's completely radical truths to other of us. But can you have a look at it with me this morning? I want to look at three profound truths that come from this, and then I want to spend a lot of time looking at three applications from it. So three really quick, significant, mind-boggling, paradigm-busting truths, and then we're going to look at three applications. Here's the first one about the nature of the resurrection, verse 36. Here's the Lord Jesus, and what does it say? While they were still talking, verse 36, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now, the word is chosen there is very intentional, it's very deliberate. It doesn't say that Jesus walked in amongst them. It doesn't say that he came, it said he stood. If you were to go and look at John 20, in John 20 it says the doors were locked. These Christians were absolutely petrified that they were going to be on crosses as well because they believed in this man who has just died upon the cross. They're not sure if he's going to come back or not. And so they locked the doors. They wanted to be safe from the Roman legions and whatnot. But here Luke says, verse 36, Jesus Jesus stood amongst them. He came into the room somehow in a physical and yet spiritual body. This is Jesus who opened the eyes of the disciples on the Emmaus Road and the passage that we didn't read from Luke 24. And he literally just appeared Jesus can appear and disappear with his resurrected body. It's something amazing and spiritual and yet physical. And here in verse 36, the first thing we see about the resurrection, this spiritual, physical body, is that Jesus Jesus can walk through walls, so to speak. Verse 36. 
He just passes through walls, and there he is. And they see him with his eyes. Look at verse 39. The first thing, he passes through walls. The second thing, Jesus engages with the world. Look at verse 39. Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me. See me. It's really interesting. Jesus is a great teacher. He's not a great moral leader, but he teaches all the time, and people are amazed at his power as his authority. At this point, you would think, you think Jesus would start teaching again, but he doesn't. He doesn't start teaching. He says, look, I, he doesn't say, look, I have stuff to tell you. He says, look at me. Look at me. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Touch me. Give me something to eat, he says later on. Feel me. Put your hands in my wounds. I'm not a spirit. I'm physical. I'm not a ghost. I'm real. And then their eyes are open. It's a remarkable thing, verse 41. It's so ordinary that he says, I'm hungry. Has anyone got anything to eat? If it was a student context, it would be if you got any pot noodles, but it's not. Is there anything that I can eat? Give me some fish. You remember when you were growing up, can you remember that far back, some of us, be careful who I say that towards, or if you've got kids, one thing you say when a visitor comes around to your house, when they're eating, you say, don't stare. Whatever you do, do not stare. And as soon as you say that, you're just staring all the time. Now, this is one mealtime, I'm sure, where they broke all the rules and they were staring at Jesus. I bet they couldn't take their eyes off him because he died. They saw him on the cross. They recognized his words. And then they saw him again and they were not expecting it. This is a paradigm-busting Jewish worldview-exploding event in the middle of history. And Jesus says something really ordinary. Look, it's me. Touch me. Listen to my voice. I know who you are. Now I'm really hungry. Can you get me some fish, please? So Jesus can walk through walls. He engages with the world. He can smell. You can hear him. You can see him. But thirdly, this spiritual, physical body, it's still him. Thirdly, verse 39. What does Jesus say right in the middle of that sentence? It is I myself. Now that's doubling up because it's so important. It's really me. In the days before PowerPoint and um, Word Art and all that stuff that you can do, there's no other way than doing it in Greek than doubling up. So you double up to make your point. It's me, me. It's really me. It's I myself. Jesus says from his own lips, his actions reveal it, he's a physical, spiritual person, and it's really him. He's saying to these people that walked with him for three years, that history that we've got together, it still counts because I'm alive. Those memories that you've got, they are our memories. Those shores we walk beside, that's our journey, and it's really me. I'm the one who knows you personally. Everything we've done, we did it together. It's really me. I'm not a hologram. This is not Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's really me. Now let's pause. Some of you here this morning are new to Christian things. You might be skeptical to Christian things. And one of the things that modern scholarship does, if you go and read the um, academic publications, you, you can check me on this. One of the modern theories about this account that is just so extraordinary is that this didn't really happen. And one of the ways modern scholars do that is to say it's a spiritual experience. 
Mary had a spiritual experience in this chapter post-resurrection, and then sometime later on she wrote it down. So she had a spiritual experience that wasn't physical, it wasn't real. And then later on she wrote it down and she put it in the clothes and the garb, in the uh, descriptive narrative of uh, physical and real things. Do you understand it? That, that's their thinking. But the thing is about that theory, every one of these texts shows us that a physical encounter happened before the spiritual. Whereas the academic minds are saying, actually, no, no, it's a spiritual, and then the physical was added on. It's completely opposite. You look at any of the Gospels, the physical happened before the spiritual. The physical seeing and sensing and eating and smelling and drinking and fingers in the side of wounds, that happened before eyes were opened before spiritually eyes were opened. This physical encounter happened before, and Jesus is saying, look, I'm really here. It's really me. Paul uh, understood this a bit, and he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 that we read from earlier in verse 42. Although there is this reality that Jesus can walk through walls, so to speak, and appear in a locked room, although he can eat food, although he is engaging with the world, it's still him. And the best way to kind of think about this is, as Paul said, it's like a, an, an oak seed, an acorn that grows into an oak tree, or a child that you've not seen for 10 years, and then it's a human. It's an adult, not a child, not a human. But you know what I mean. You can see the child, and now they've grown up. So Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. So it will be with the resurrection from the dead. The body that is shown, sown perishable will be raised imperishable. The body that is sown in dishonor will be raised in glory. The body that's sown in weakness will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it's raised a spiritual body. It's raised a spiritual body. So this is not a spiritual experience alone. Not a spirit and then a physical body. It's not a physical body or a spiritual body. It's both a spiritual, physical body as the Lord Jesus appears to people who are scared witless for their lives. They have their worldview ripped in shreds because Jesus is there and he says, it's really me. You can see me. You can hear me. He's breaking all the categories. He's smashing all the boundaries. This is a paradigm shift. It's a blueprint for your understanding of the world, the physical nature of it. He rips it up and he refashions it. It's spiritual and physical together. You go to any other worldview, any other religious system, and they will disagree at this point. You go to Eastern worldviews, Eastern religions. They'll say the physical world is just an illusion. What you need to... Uh, seek to gain and aspire towards is the spiritual, physical, bad, spiritual good. You come to Western worldviews, Western society, they say spiritual, bad, physical, good. Spiritual is non-existent, physical is all there is, but you come to the worldview of Christianity, you come to this passage, you come to an understanding of the resurrection, and you see spiritual and physical together as one. Physical is not an illusion. Spirituality is not something to be understood without the physicality. So what does the resurrection mean? Jesus walks through walls. He engages with the world. He appears and says, it's really me. That's the quick flyby. Now it's the slowdown and the application. What is the cash value of the resurrection to us? Number one. 
The first thing the resurrection means for me and for you is that it teaches us how to love. The resurrection teaches us how to love. In John 14, Jesus, as he's speaking to his disciples, is explaining where he's going. He begins to pray. It's the the, uh, Olivet Discourse. He's beginning to explain where he's going. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. There are many rooms. Jesus Christ does not say, as he's about to depart this world and go to the next, as about, he's about to go back to his Father's presence through the cross, through the resurrection, through the empty tomb. He does not say, I go to prepare a dimension for you. I go to prepare a plane of consciousness that will, you will enjoy, a spiritual out-of-body experience. Jesus Christ does not say that. He says... I go to prepare a room for you. I'm going to make you a home that I will call you to come and enjoy with me. And the resurrection is proof that Jesus Christ rose to take you home. You're not going to float there. You're not going to kind of dance there. You're not going to vibrate there. You're going to walk and smell and taste and touch and enjoy a relationship with him forever. You're going to enjoy the redeemed world forever. The physical, sinless universe you're going to enjoy for all eternity in the future. The way it was supposed to be. The way it will be. And because Jesus Christ was raised from the grave, it teaches us how to love other people. I'm sure there's going to be wine in the new heaven and earth. I hope there's going to be old peculiar because I love it. But this means that there's a physicality to the future universe. Physical and spiritual. You're going to enjoy one another's company. You're going to be hugged. You're going to be loved perfectly. It means you're still going to be you. That's what the resurrection means. We're going to be able to recognize one another. I look forward to saying to the Apostle Paul, what was Romans all about? I didn't get it. I look forward to Moses and chatting to him. And most of all, I look forward to seeing Jesus. And embracing him and enjoying him and speaking with him. Verse 39, it is me, it is I, says the Lord Jesus. He's changed, but he's recognizable. And so he says, it's me. And look what they say. Oh, wow. And then they recognize him, his eyes are opened. So there's a continuity, there's a a young child who's becoming an adult, there's an acorn that becomes an oak tree. There is a similarity, a continuity between what we know on earth and what will be in heaven, and yet it's different at the same time. It's all coming to unfold. This is the picture of heaven we have. Physically real, sinless, perfect, relational. And what that means is it teaches you how to love people. Because people are valuable. People and relationships mean something. Christians don't look out there and say, oh, look at all those people dying from the plague in the second century. It doesn't matter. We're okay. We know Jesus. That's absolutely anathema to Christian worldview. We're passing through. This world is temporary. We don't care. That's completely bogus to a Christian understanding of the world. Christians don't sit on their backside and do nothing when they see suffering. They seek to alleviate it. They seek to care for people. That's why Rob Dalton's currently in Haiti. Because because of the gospel, he's going out to care for people with the medical skills that he's got. That's why one of our members goes and listens to the stories of stroke victims once a week at Epsom Hospital. 
That's why George Muller set up an orphanage after orphanage hundreds of years ago to care for the poor. That's why caring for life, caring, uh, or just caring in the Midlands, caring for life in Yorkshire. That's why they exist, because the gospel and because of the power of the resurrection, it makes us love people. Do you love people? Do you love people because of the resurrection? Because the future is not going to be ethereal. It's going to be physical and real, and we're going to be able to recognize people. Is the gospel, is it affecting your relationships? Because the resurrection teaches us to love people. It leads us to rest. Number two, that's the second implication. It leads us to rest. If you ask Joe, my wife, or anybody else, I am the world's worst dancer. Peter and Gita need to teach me and Joe a few things. I always liked the idea of being a runner, long-distance runner. I just thought that would be cheap and fun. I thought you just buy a set of trainers and off you go. But my thighs are too chubby. I was built for kind of, no laughing. I was built for power, not for uh, long-distance running. And you know, sometimes a few years ago, especially, there was a few films about the idea of a bucket list. Of all the things you want to do when you kind of grow up, before you die, you've got to see the Grand Canyon, you've got to swim with dolphins, you've got to jump out of a hot air balloon, hopefully with a parachute, all this stuff. There's a real potential in our Western culture just to be frustrated. And if you don't do this stuff, you somehow missed out. If you never take your kids on a road trip, you're not a proper parent, that kind of stuff, it's completely phony. Johnny Erickson Tata, She was a quadriplegic. She's a wonderful Christian lady when she was 18. She's an excellent swimmer and diver. When she was 18, she dove into shallow water and she had an awful spinal injury, which meant that she was quadriplegic from the neck down. How does she feel when she's thinking about the resurrection? She says wonderfully, I will dance in the kingdom of God. I'm going to get a new body. My legs are going to work. My arms are going to work. I'm going to be able to dance again. That's not pie in the sky when you die. She knows that because the Lord Jesus had a physical body. So shall we have and so shall she have. Jesus stood amongst them and they saw him. They heard his voice. They saw him eat food. And they know, therefore, she knows that she will one day dance again. You're not going to miss anything out of your life. And even if you do miss the Grand Canyon now, you could see it then. But it would be even better because it will be sinless. The whole world will be perfect as it always meant to be. You can rest physically. You don't need to live under pressure to jump on a plane and to go to the Maldives before they get submerged by water. So you rest physically because you don't have to think, I've got to climb Everest before I'm 25. Because you can do it in the new creation and you can enjoy it and the view will be even better. It may even be warmer. It means you can rest relationally as well. Some of us are in relationships that are really hard. Some of us are in marriages that are under a lot of pressure. Some of us will never be in a relationship that we want to be in. What does the resurrection mean to someone like that? If you're facing a difficult relationship, the resurrection means this. One day, you will be loved perfectly. One day, you will be hugged perfectly. One day, you will be invited to the best marriage there will ever be, that every marriage here on earth is just a pale reflection of that marriage between Jesus Christ the Son and the church's bride. It means you can rest physically, relationally. It means you can love people 
because of the resurrection. No need for a bucket list. You can live without regrets. You can live freely. And one day, even I will be able to dance. The resurrection means you can love people. The resurrection means you can rest. But also, finally, the resurrection drives away fear. The resurrection drives away fear. Look at what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a ghost. These followers of his who've heard his words for three years, who've had this Bible study for three years basically on and off, they still don't understand that Jesus is going to come back from the dead. And then, therefore, they're afraid when Jesus appears in this room. And he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid of death. The whole idea of the resurrection is that Jesus is back. It's not Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back. This is Jesus back from the grave, back from death. Now, what does that show? The fact that Jesus Christ was raised by his Father from the grave means that your debt is paid in full. That sheet of paper that Daniel's son held up, our sin has been paid for in full. Death can't do anything. Listen carefully. If you're a Christian here this morning, if you trust Jesus personally, if you know him intimately, you do not need to fear death. The only thing death can do is to improve your life. To improve your life. It can make it better. The reason Jesus Christ's resurrection means so much to us is that if he died, just like us, to pay his own debt, then he'd be gone forever. But, but, he came back. And that means that he died, both as an innocent person, but also as our substitute. Our sins are paid for in full. He paid for us. If you want a summary of the Christian message, the whole of the gospel, it's this. It's rescue. Jesus Christ died to rescue us. If you're a Christian and you see Jesus walking into this room, just appearing, what does that mean? You know that he paid for your sins. This means you should be afraid of absolutely nothing because the worst thing you can happen, that can happen to you is to die. And actually that's the best thing because then you'll see him as he is. Death makes your life more beautiful. Death makes your life more glorious. So it drives away fear from your own heart and mind. And if you're not afraid of death anymore, you don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Because that time when you die, when he calls you home if you're a Christian, then you'll be with him. And do you know... Well, if you don't know him, how do you know him? This is how you know him. If you've never understood the gospel before, let me just spend two minutes explaining how this hope can be yours today and what a great day to begin a journey. Look at verse 39. How do you know that you will meet Jesus? Or how do you know, rather, that you could meet Jesus even today? Look at verse 39. Jesus says, it is I. Look at my hands and my feet. Do you know how to meet Jesus even now? You need to look at his wounds. That's how you meet Jesus. That's how Jesus moves from being a teacher to being your Lord and your Savior, if you look at his wounds. Why would Jesus say, look at my hands, look at my feet? 
Why would Jesus say that? He's saying, look at my wounds. Don't you recognize who I am? And don't you see what I've done for you? When you look at Jesus' wounds, that moves from head knowledge to worship. That moves from just academic information to love and adoration. You have to look at his wounds. You have to look at him dying for you. In Luke 24, there are three accounts when Jesus meets the women, the disciples, and then the disciples in this locked room. And each time there's a perplexity, there's a confusion, there's a misunderstanding that Jesus confronts. To the women, he says, look, the tomb is empty. To the men on the Emmaus Road, he says, he was crucified. And then, verse 36, to this locked room, he says, peace to you. And they're upset. Every time Jesus meets someone in Luke 24, they're upset. But he comes to them and kind of stirs their life up. Here's what's happening. and Here's the way Jesus works so often. When Jesus comes to your life, very often he disturbs you. You'll be upset. You can react in a, a hostile way. But God comes in a redemptive way. He comes to redeem you. He comes to rescue you. And God doesn't fit into our plans. We always fit into his. And so he comes and confronts each one of us in our lives. But his purpose is always to rescue us and to redeem us. And when you look at Jesus' wounds, everything that you know is troubling you in your life, whether it be a relationship, whether it be financial, whether it be personal, Everything that's happening in your life that is a pain to you, that's a difficulty to you, that's suffering to you, that's oppression to you, when you see his wounds, you will see really that God is pushing you towards himself and that everything that's happening in this world is redemptive. When bad things happen, God uses them to push you towards himself so that you look at his wounds. And how do you do that? Three times we're told in this chapter, you read the Bible, you read the scriptures. Verse 24, the angel said to the women in the first part, remember what he said? They don't give their opinion. He simply says, remember what he said? Look at the scriptures. To the disciples, look at the scriptures. To the disciples on the Emmaus Road, he opened up the Bible and their hearts burned. How can Jesus become more than a moral teacher, more than a historical figure? How can he become your rescuer, your redeemer, your Lord, your saviour? You need to look at his wounds. And there's no better day than to, to do that than today. And when you look at his wounds, when you see Jesus dying for you, when you read that and when the Holy Spirit opens that up for you, you can meet him personally. And then you can be a person of love, of other people, person of peace, but also a person of fearlessness. Let's pray. Father, there is so much in this world for us to be afraid of. Please help us to understand that Jesus' death drives away fear because the price has been paid. That we can be accepted because of him, not because of our own effort to roll up our sleeves and to work hard or to live a good life. It will never work. We can never be good enough. But thank you that Jesus died for our sins. And because you raised him from the grave, you showed to the whole of the world that you are satisfied, deeply satisfied with his perfect life 
and his powerful death. Help us to be people who love other people with the love and compassion that you've shown to us. Please drive us out into Epsom and Yule. We can be so comfortable, but help us to love other people. Love those who are difficult to love. Love those who won't love us back, but help us to love them nevertheless. And please help us to be a person and be a people who are at peace, that we, cannot st- we don't need to strive because we know that this world is not all, this, all there is. But there is a new, redeemed, perfect world for us to enjoy when you return or when you call us home. Father, show more of yourself to us today, I pray. Amen.